0: You did it again. You know, it, right? I don't, I don't know what it is for you, but I'm guessing you probably do. You promised you would never do it again, and yet you did it again. You hate it. You, you maybe even hate yourself a little bit for it, and you may, you may not even be a, a Christian necessarily, right? Um, and so, it, you know, you may not even really use the word sin, but chances are you still know what it is I'm talking about. Like you may not be trying to, um, you know, to, to keep God's rules. Fine. But you can't even keep your own rules. We, we fail our own standards. We, we hurt the people we love. We actually choose self-destructive behavior that doesn't even really make us happy oftentimes. And then we do it again. We say cruel things, right? Those cruel words that you said, that you, you, words you just you cannot get back. Or, or every time you yell at your kids again. Or you go back to those websites again. Or you pour yourself one too many drinks again. Even though you said last time that it was going to be the last time. You give in to fear, or gossip, or laziness, or control, or judgmentalism, or, or anger, or consumerism, or vanity, and it'd be one thing if it, was, if it was rare, but it keeps happening. And then, if you're anything like me, then comes the, the self-loathing. Almost, almost like a sense of panic, like you're, you're going to be exposed, you're going to be found out that you didn't just do something bad, that you are bad. It wasn't just a mistake, you are a mistake. You don't just occasionally do unloving things, you are unlovable. And then of course there's Jesus, perfect Jesus. Has anybody here seen, seen The Chosen? The Chosen? I think we're, we're kind of late to the party here. Uh, we're only a few episodes, a few episodes in. And let me just be honest, like typically I when it comes to like Christian entertainment, I am deeply cynical, okay? But this one is actually pretty good. And, and if you've seen it, like, like you just you cannot help but love Jesus in it. Like I, I love, I love this guy. And he's only an actor. A weak representation. And yet, given everything I've just said about my sin, that unending sense of shame, there's no way a guy like that, a God like that, could ever want anything to do with me. Sure, he loves humanity. I have no problem believing that. He loves humans. It's feeling that he actually loves me. That can be so difficult. Because I am sinner. Dane Ortlund's book, Gentle and Lowly, it's one of the best books I read last year. I'd highly recommend it to you. Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortlund. Listen listen to its opening words. He writes, this book is written for the discouraged, the frustrated, the weary, the disenchanted, the cynical, the empty. Anybody? (laughs) Those running on fumes. Those whose Christian lives feel like constantly running up a descending escalator. Those of us who find ourselves thinking, how could I mess up that bad again? It is for that increasing suspicion that God's patience with us is wearing thin. For those of us who know God loves us, but suspect we have deeply disappointed him. It is written, in other words, for normal Christians. In short, it is written for sinners and sufferers. How does Jesus feel about them? And if there's anything that shouts off the pages of this story today, it's the answer to that question. When Jesus sees you, not the collective you, but you individual, when he looks at you and he sees all the messes that you made already, and he sees all the messes That you're about to make in the future, what is his heart towards you? Is it disappointment? Anger? Disgust? No. It's love. King Jesus loves sinners. Jesus loves sinners. You cannot miss that from this story. like he can't get enough of them. Like he, he wants more of them. He wants to spend time with them, to be with them. Jesus loves sinners, which means he loves you. So let me, let me pray, because that's, that's something many of us probably heard a thousand times, maybe more, and yet we struggle to believe. Let me pray and ask God to do that for us as we continue. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that we would not just hear these words I pray that we wouldn't just know them cognitively, but God, that we would see your love in our lives, that we would experience it deep within, that we would feel it, that we would be washed in it, that we would be able to soak in it, even as we look at this very familiar story. That's the work you're going to have to do in us, Holy Spirit, and so we ask you to do it. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you haven't already, turn to, to Luke chapter 23. So yeah, today is Palm Sunday, right? We started that uh, at the beginning. But if you've been with us, like you know, as we've gone through Luke, we're we're you know, we're kind of taking our time through Luke. So we talked about Palm Sunday like probably like two months ago, okay? Uh, so today today we're we're at the cross, and so you got to pretend that it's Good Friday already. It's almost Good Friday, not quite, but that's where we are in the in the story. We're at the cross. And so this is, this is after the trial, after all the whipping and the beating and the crowning with thorns as Jesus walks to his death, or at least tries to walk to his death. I mean, historical records from that time period, I mean, crucifixion was not all that uncommon, and so there's, there's lots of things written about other crucifixions, and, and there, there are historical accounts where the, the sort of the pre-crucifixion scourging, beatings, could be so bad it would leave internal organs exposed. Like it was not uncommon for the, the victims to have their skin hanging off their bodies like ribbons. And so it's not difficult to believe that at this point, Jesus, the one who holds the universe in his hands, didn't have the strength left to carry his own cross the entire way. And so verse 26, Luke tells us, says, and as they led him away, They seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. It's interesting. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all all tell us about about Simon, this this man from Africa. uh, That's where Cyrene is from. uh, And he's compelled to to carry Jesus' cross. And scholars uh, often believe, some of them believe, that that the reason his name is included here, it's it's like the gospel writer's way of saying, like, hey, if you don't believe what's happening, Uh, about this, like, climax of the story. Like, go talk to Simon. Like, he was there. He will tell you it happened just like this. So Simon carries his cross. Verse 27. And there, there followed him, Jesus, a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves. for your children. I don't think I ever really paid attention to this in the story before. So interesting, like again, you got a picture like Jesus there, He's, he's naked and bloodied, he's too weak to be able to even carry his own cross. People are already mourning his death. But what does he say? Don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. For your sin will destroy you. As he goes on, he describes the judgment that is, that is coming upon them. What, what Jesus is saying here, don't miss this. Jesus is saying that there is something way worse than crucifixion. Way worse than being crucified. For it is far worse to remain in your sin and to reject his love, even than being crucified. Don't cry for me. Just turn from your sins already. Such selfless tenderness, even here at the end. Because King Jesus loves sinners. And there are three ways that we see this worked out in the story this morning. Three, three things in particular that I want, I want us to see about Jesus' love first, right here in this part. We see that Jesus loves sinners enough to hate our sin. Jesus loves you enough. To hate your sin. He's not—he's not heartbroken for himself. Like for me, I'd like this would be the ultimate pity moment, right? Yeah, feel sorry for me. Look what I'm doing, people, for you, right? But he, he doesn't do that at all. He's heartbroken for us, for our sins. And yet we tend to think, right, I tend to think that if Jesus really loved me, then he would just sort of affirm everything about me, right? He'd just kind of pat me on the back. He'd look the other way. He'd call my, my you know, my, my self-destructive behavior, he'd just call it like a tiny indiscretion, right? Sweeping under the rug. Because like, this is often what we try to do with one another, isn't it? I'm, I'm going to ignore this person's self-destructive behavior out of love, right? You do you, right? That's that's not love, right? It's not loving to let someone destroy themselves in their own sin, and Jesus loves you too much to let you get away with yours. Oh, come on, my sins aren't that bad, right? We don't even like to call most of them sin, right? It's just a little gossip. It's just a little anger. It's just a little lust. It's just a little greed, and yet, according to this story, our sins are so destructive to ourselves and to others that bloodied Jesus on his way to the cross says, don't worry about me. I've got this. Worry for yourselves. And yet again, so often we think that if I'm going to love myself, right, be true to myself, that I have to affirm everything about myself, how's that working out for you? It doesn't work, right? It doesn't take the shame away. If you're going to love yourself, you have to hate your sin, confess your sin, refuse to be complacent in your sin, and turn to the one who loves you enough to hate your sin. That's the first thing. Of course, if we, if we stop there, we probably feel pretty defeated, right? Because we feel the weight. I feel the weight of my own sin. So go back, go back to the story and see what happens next. Verse 32, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the Skull or Golgotha, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. So now you've got to like picture the scene again. I know this is so familiar for many of us, but just like enter, like be there in that moment with them. There is Jesus, naked and exposed, bloodied, his body already ripped to shreds as the spikes, right, enter into his wrists and into his, his ankles, right? His body is now suspended by the, like the weight of his body suspended by his own wounds. Think about that. As he slowly suffocates, that's how one would typically die on a cross, I mean it's hard enough like hearing about it like imagine if you were there watching this happen to someone you'd throw up like you would pass out like you couldn't you couldn't take it like it's it's too much the agony visible now now imagine if that was actually you if you were the one enduring it i don't i don't have a category for this level of pain and yet, meanwhile, there he, there he is, and the soldiers beneath him are gambling for his clothes. It's like, it's just, it's just a game for them. Like, they've done it so many times, they're, they're, not, they're, not, they're not shocked by it anymore. Mocking and laughing. And the rulers, right, they're, they're standing there. They kind of get into it as well, and they, they cry out. Verse 35, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the Messiah, the Chosen One. Prove it, you fraud. Apparently, this is fun for just about everybody. And yet the physical pain, the emotional pain, the degradation of this moment, the, sh- the shame, and the irony. Like, he really could have saved himself, right? But instead, he chose to save sinners. Like them, like us. And then, in the, in the midst of this, come what I think are some of the most shocking words in the entire Bible. I think we tend to be used to them, but if you put, put, like, get in that spot of incredible agony, and then Jesus says the most shocking things. Verse 34, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them. Do you see his heart for sinners? And if this is his heart for them, for them, <laughs> what is his heart for you? Because yes, yes, Jesus loves sinners enough to hate our sin, but also Jesus loves sinners enough to die for us, enough to pray that on the cross for us, enough to do whatever it takes for our forgiveness. Jesus loves Sinners, you see, it's, it's, like, it's in moments like this that you really get to know somebody, right? Like, you know this experience, the moments of deep pain in somebody's life, deep suffering. Like, you know that. Or, or moments, moments when someone is, is backed into a corner, when they're threatened, when they're, when they're exposed. Like, those raw moments, you really get to know what's in somebody's heart, don't you? For, for example, a while, a while back, our family went on a hike in uh, Sequoia National Park. Uh, and it was, it was like early morning, you can still see it's, sort of, it's just dawn, right? And we were in this, like, really remote place uh, of the park. And we were about to begin this, this eight-mile hike through these mountain meadows all the way to literally the largest tree on the planet. Uh, and there was, there was no humans anywhere to be seen. I mean, it was, like, it was going to be a good day, people. I was stoked, okay? And so we start off on this right at the beginning like, the first, like, half a mile or so, we begin to notice lots of evidence of recent bear activity. I mean, lots of evidence, okay? Everywhere we looked was evidence. And so, so, you know, we've been in, in bear country plenty of times. We've hiked in those places. And so we begin, you know, calling out because you don't, you don't want to surprise a bear. That's a big, so that's, that's for free. Like, if you're ever hiking in bear country, don't surprise a bear. So, you, like, you talk to it. Even you can't see it, you just start. So common phrase when we're hiking is coming through bear, coming through. Hey bear, coming through. Just us, non-delicious humans, right? Just coming through. And so we're we're calling this out every 30 seconds or so as we go. And then all of a sudden, up ahead, not very far, right where the path goes, and there's no other way around it, we see these bushes swaying pretty heavily. We can hear the rustling. Oh, it's probably just a squirrel. I lied to my family. Um, we all knew better, but it was kind of, what else are you going to say in that moment? And so they kind of stepped back, and I crept up. But it was, it was dark, and it was dark in the bush. I couldn't see, so I had to get closer and closer and closer. And then it looked at me. This guy. Now, I, I didn't take it at the moment, right? Not in that moment of panic. This was, I took this picture later when it was, it was safer, but it was, I'm not kidding, it was maybe 12 feet from me. And we just, like, stared at each other for, like, this moment. Um, you know, I, uh, I turned white as a ghost, probably peed a little bit. Um, my adrenaline spike, and Kelly knew instantly that there was a problem, right, for my demeanor. And so we got back on this, on this rock, you know, a few feet off the ground, and we just, we just stood there, and we just, like, talked to the bear. Like, tried to, like, hey, you know, again, don't, you don't, we're not going to bother you. Don't eat us. And we just, we just waited. Because wait. again, the last thing you want to do in those moments is scare a bear. Like you don't, you don't want to surprise it or make it feel threatened in any way. Because if you do, it will reveal the bear's heart for you. And it will rip your face off. Okay? And this is the moment in Jesus' life when he is most exposed, most threatened, most vulnerable in most agony, most backed into a corner. And we should be able to see his heart like never before. And what do we see? Love. You corner a bear and it will kill you. You corner Jesus and he will embrace you. And Jesus dies for them. And asks his father to forgive them. What is his heart for you? If not love. And so yeah, he, he hates our sin. And yes, he, he dies for sinners. But you know, surely, surely he doesn't want to get too close. Like he's, he's got to keep us at a distance, right? Because we're just, we're too filthy, he doesn't want to get too close to me. He doesn't want to get dirtied by my sin. And so we, we assume, right, that Jesus, he's going to keep us. Yeah, okay, he loves us, but he's going to keep us at arm's length, that he's passive and distant. But look, look what happens next. Because rem- remember, remember the two criminals, right, also being executed? So one of them, one of them joins in the mockery. Like laughing at Jesus, taunting him. It's crazy, right? This guy is like dying with Jesus, but still has enough energy left to curse Jesus. Bold move, right? And his, his buddy knows it. So verse 40, but the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong and he said to Jesus Jesus remember me when you come into your kingdom and Jesus said to him truly I say to you today you will be with me in paradise you see what Jesus says to the criminal his fellow death row inmate hey let's hang out hang out later today you will be with me with me in paradise. Essentially, Eden, right? The same, the Greek word that's translated in the Septuagint for the Old Testament is Eden, right? It's, it's this place of paradise. And like, remember the Garden of Eden? That's the place where God and humans were meant to dwell together and live together forever. But we, we rebelled against all that. We said, no thanks, God. I got this. I'll do it my own way. And chances are, this criminal really lived that out. And Jesus, he doesn't just say to him, okay, fine, I forgive you. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't give him a hard time. Hey, You're cutting it pretty close there, buddy. Yeah, sure, repent now. Makes sense, right? He doesn't even just promise him some vague sense of afterlife. Yeah, okay, you can live forever. He promises to be with him. You will be with me. You will be with me, which which is paradise. Now hold, hold that thought. Because there's something else that happens that kind of connects these two together. Look, look now at the very moment of his death. Skip down to verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour. And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Well, the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. There's a, there a lot there, but think about this. At the, at the very moment of his death, the curtain in the temple was torn in two. Why, why is that important? It feels so weird, right? Why does that happen? Well, the, the, the curtain was like the dividing line in the temple. It was, it was what kept sinners at bay from the presence of God. That You could get close, but you couldn't get too close. And yet, at the moment of Jesus' death, it is torn in two by his love. That our sin, even though it is so ugly, because of Jesus' love, it cannot keep us out. For the temple curtain was torn in two. And so here's, here's the last thing. Just, just as he tells the thief on the cross, just as the, as the curtain there is torn in two, the third thing here Jesus loves sinners enough to want us close. Yes, he hates our sin. Yes, he dies for our sin. But he loves us enough to want us close. He doesn't want to love you from afar. He doesn't know how to social distance, and we are plagued with sin, infected with shame, but he is not afraid of taking our sickness upon himself. And I realize you might be thinking, well, not me, Nathan. Not Nathan, if you, if you only knew, right, if you only knew what I've done or what I did or what I'm probably going to end up doing tomorrow, not my sin, doesn't, doesn't Jesus cringe when he sees it? Isn't he disappointed with me? Isn't he angry with me? Isn't he disgusted by me? Never. Not if you're his. Jesus' first impulse when he sees your sin is not to walk away, but to come closer. That's why the curtain rips in two. That's why Jesus wants to hang out with this, this thief. They're still hanging out, by the way. And that is his heart towards you. Most everyone else will leave us. If you hurt them enough? Disappoint them enough? We humans have limits to what we can take to one another, and they might walk away. Jesus won't. Yeah, but I, I keep doing it, Nathan. I know. Let me, let me read one more time from Gentle and Lowly. Again, I, I love this book. But if, if, you, if you feel like a failure, if, if somebody who squanders God's mercy, someone God could never really love, listen to this. To you I say, do you know what Jesus does with those who squander his mercy? He pours out more mercy. God is rich in mercy, that's the whole point. Whether we have been sinned against or have sinned ourselves into misery, the Bible says God is not tight-fisted with mercy, but open-handed. Not frugal, but lavish. Not poor, but rich. That God is rich in mercy means that your regions of deepest shame and regret are not hotels through which divine mercy passes, but homes in which divine mercy abides. It means the things about you that make you cringe most make him hug hardest. It means his mercy is not calculated and cautious like ours. It is unrestrained, flood-like, sweeping, magnanimous. It means our haunting shame is not a problem for him, but the very thing he loves most to work with. It means our sins do not cause his love to take a hit. Our sins cause his love to surge forward all the more. Because King Jesus loves sinners. He loves sinners. Just can't get enough of them. He can't can't spend enough time with them. And King Jesus loves you. He loves you enough to hate your sin. He loves you enough to hang on a cross and offer forgiveness to you. And he loves you enough to want you, to truly want you, to be with you, and to be with you forever. Jesus wants you, and there's no greater truth in the universe than that. There's nothing, nothing that will change us more begin to change us in every day, embracing that fact when, that when we, when we feel his love, despite your shame, the old sins begin to lose their power. And so church, what is there left for us to do? Just go to him. Go to him. He wants to be with you. He wants to wrap you in the warmth of his love. Even for you. So why don't we take even just a minute quietly together to just sit in his love. If that's completely weird for you, if you don't know what to do in that moment, maybe just say over and over to yourself, Jesus loves me. Say it 50 times if you have to. Jesus loves me. Let's take this moment of silence and then we'll pray collectively in a moment. Let's let's pray quietly. Now let's confess our sins together. The words are on the screen for us to pray. Let's pray these words. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open to us a future in which we can be changed, and grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image, through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen. And now let me read these words of assurance from God's word in the Psalms. It says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions.